Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. But today I want to talk about this idea of redemption. Say redemption. If you want a title for today, it's this, Loving Redemption. Loving Redemption. This is one of those things that it's pretty familiar when, when it comes to if you've been in church for any, any amount of time, if you follow Jesus for any amount of time, this idea of redemption. But I want to I wanna kind of rewind and go backward. You know, we're familiar with the cross, most of us, with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But I want to rewind back to the prophets. About 750 years before Jesus showed up on planet Earth, there's a prophet named Hosea. Say Hosea. Hosea was born, and he lived in the northern territory of Israel. Now, each prophet had a very specific assignment, something um, that, you know, they were called to do, they were tasked to do, if you will. But I don't think any prophet had an assignment quite like that of Hosea, because Hosea's calling is to marry a prostitute, yeah, you heard me right, a prostitute. Now, right away you're thinking, whoa, whoa, what, what's going on here? I mean, th- this was his calling to marry a prostitute, but there's a reason. But, you know, when he first marries this prostitute, her name is Gomer, not like Gomer Pyle, let's not mix it up with that, but her name is Gomer. You know, things are going pretty well. You know, the typical thing, you get married, you know, you have, he had three kids with her. And, you know, everything was going rather well. And I'm thinking three kids, so they had to be married at least maybe three years, you know, a little time in between. But then one day he wakes up, and his wife, Gomer, is gone. She's gone. I mean, she's nowhere around the house. She's nowhere around the city that he can see. She's nowhere to be found. Now, think about this. How embarrassing. I mean, we're not just talking about some Jewish guy in the northern kingdom of Israel. We're talking about probably one of the most famous people in Israel as the prophet. So here's the prophet. His wife is gone. He's a single parent of three children all of a sudden. I mean, this must be devastating to Hosea. Here's a beacon of hope for Israel, yet he can't even keep his wife. So I want us to, as I always do when we read these stories, I want us to try to, to get into the, the feels and in the mode of where these people are at this time. It's so easy to just read over a scripture or a story and kind of do a flyover. But how many know that I like to look just below the surface? There's so much more going on than maybe what we're reading. And so here's Hosea. His wife's gone. But God does something mind-blowing in this moment. I want us to pick up the story in Hosea chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, now this is Hosea, and he, he as an oracle of God, he's feeling the Lord is speaking to him, and listen what the Lord says. Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. Okay, does anyone here, does that just make you go, whoa? Uh, like, I'll be completely honest and transparent. I try to be that way. I don't know if I could do that. I mean, honestly. But look what he says. There's a reason why. He says, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Look at verse 2. <laughs> this is crazy. So why? This is Hosea talking. 
bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Wow. First of all, did you see what God has asked of Hosea? I mean, he, he marries this prostitute because God told him to, so he's obedient. She's with him for maybe three years, a little more. We're not sure, but we know they have three children. And then she leaves him. And now the Lord says, I want you to go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. And what's even more challenging to me, in my mind at least, is Hosea's response was to obey and follow through. He does what the Lord requested of him. This is crazy to me. But when you look at the story, you know, one scholar actually says that other than the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection story of Jesus, the story here of Hosea and Gomer is probably the greatest expression and demonstration of the unconditional and immense love of God in all of Scripture. Because we got to understand here, God is basically using the life of Hosea as an object lesson. But the crazy thing is he's obedient to that. He's like, Lord, if this is my calling, if this is going to show your love to the people of Israel, then I'll do it. So God says, go, look for her, Hosea, look for her. Now think about this, Hosea, again, he's known to Israel as the prophet, you know, the holy man, God's chosen one. Uh, You know, he couldn't find his wife in the house. He couldn't find his wife in, in certain parts of the city. Think about this. He has to go to the deepest, darkest, seediest areas of town to find her. We would refer to this as the red light district. To find his wife. What was that like? Can you imagine Hosea? I mean, I mean he's a man. How many here have feelings and emotions? Three of us. That's great. That's great. You know, God has given us feelings and emotions, right? I mean, I try to put myself in that place. How how would I handle this? I mean, first of all, she's left. She's gone back into her original, you know, job, career, whatever you call it. But now I have to go find her. And when I go into these areas of town, people know who I am. I mean, think about this like the president, a prime minister, a king. Right? Most people know who that is. They know who Hosea is. And can you imagine him coming into town? Hey, man, like, did he have a disguise? I, I don't know. Did he come into town? He's like, hey, man, uh, I'm looking for Gomer. Have you seen Gomer? Can you imagine a guy? I mean, how awkward would it be on the other side? Here's the prophet asking for his wife. It's like, sorry, man, I, I didn't know you guys were still together. I mean, how did that conversation go? What was that like? And finally, he finds her. And what's really wild in this whole situation is he finds her on the selling block being sold into the sex slave trade. And so in this moment, he's already followed through to this point. He has to continue and follow through. Scholars believe that he walks in on an auction and there's his wife on the block being sold. Now, something we have to understand And I know for our minds sometimes, and this is why it's important that we understand culture, we understand ancient culture especially. In Jewish culture at this time, and pretty much any, you know, culture around Israel, when you married a woman, when you would take her from her father, and even there's usually a dowry involved, which means money, right? This is a deal, usually for money, social status. You literally owned her. Now, I know today you're like, oh, there's no man going to owe me. I get it. I get it. 
This was thousands of years ago. Let's just roll with it. This is how it works. And so we have to think in that mindset. So he walks in to this auction, and his wife, whom he owns according to the law, is up there. And what blows my mind, I mean, it's his property, right? He ends up paying for her. Wait, wait. I mean, I think if I were in that situation at that time, I would have said, no, 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 that's my wife. Here's the legal papers. I'm taking her. But there's a lesson to be learned here. He doesn't just say, that's my wife. I'm taking her. What does he do? He ends up paying 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley, and a measure of wine. Completely different culture, right? I mean, here we'd be like, okay, who, I, who do I make the check out to? Right? Who, who do I give the cash to? Not here. 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley, and a measure of wine. Now, there's something else we have to understand. In the Jewish way of thinking, numbers are very significant. Numbers have meaning. We've gone over this, I mean, for years. But you think about this idea. How many pieces of silver did he pay? Fifteen. In 15 is significant in Hebrew. It actually means priestly blessing. It speaks to the divine energy between God and humanity. We're already getting somewhere with this. Just the idea of paying 15 pieces of silver was signifying this union that God has with humanity. How many of you we talk about it all the time, that union that Jesus reintroduced us to? He says, you know, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and you are in my Father. In other words, there's this unity. There's this connection. Now, how many know some of us have seen that connection? We've awakened to it. We've said yes to Jesus. How many know others still haven't? That's where the gospel comes in, right? That's where we get to be the light to the world so they can see, oh, okay, my life source, what did Paul say when he was preaching on Mars Hill? In him we live, move, and have our being. It's our life source. It's our connection. And so it's talking about connection. Now, how many bushels of barley did he pay? Five. Now, some of you know this. What does five represent? Grace. Five means grace. So already we have the grace of God in this situation, this idea that we are connected to God as human beings. Not only that, silver, this culture, represented divinity, whereas the barley represented the earthly or humanity. Here we are again, that that union. And wine, for the Jewish person, it was associated with life. I mean, wine was at every, every you know, meal, at every celebration, uh, including Passover. It's a big deal. Why? It's associated with life. It's associated with God's blessing. It's associated with God's kingdom. This is so cool. And so he says this. He says, think about this. I'll pay whatever the price for her. If I were there, I would have said, Hosea, she's already yours. And he would have said, yeah, Pastor Andy, I know, but I'll pay for what's already mine. Sounds kind of like the gospel story, doesn't it? Here we are, thousands of years, well, really 750 years before Jesus shows up on the scene, and there's a gospel story contained in the Old Covenant. Of course there is, because it's all interwoven. There's types and shadows pointing to Jesus. Amen? And so the gospel's right here in this story. It's absolutely beautiful. Loving redemption is right here within this story. See, that's what God did for us. God paid for what was already his. That's just a wild concept to me. And I think maybe 
in new covenant terms, it's a little bit easier for us to wrap our head around this idea. But listen, the only reason that any human being is alive and thriving and animated and has breath is because they're connected to the divine, the source. I mean, there's no other way around that, at least in my belief system. We're here because we have purpose, but we're here because we're connected to something bigger than ourselves. And so what I see here is even though we're connected, for a lot of us, how many know this, that you know, a lot of you probably have receptacles or plugs in your home, and, you know, if you go to use your coffee pot in the morning, because most of us need that to just function right, you know, maybe some of you, you make your uh, green smoothie, whatever it is, most of us need a power source. And so we plug into that source, and it works. You know, the running joke is if something isn't working right, you go, what? Did you plug it in? Why? Because without being plugged into the source, you won't benefit from the power. So... We have a lot of human beings running around planet Earth now for thousands of years or more who just don't know that they're connected to a source. But what the gospel does, and Paul talks about this, is it's an, it is an unveiling to us. We begin to see the truth of that connection. I think it's important. How many are familiar with the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul, before he was Paul, he actually was Saul. And I know there's Jewish name, and he had a Roman name because he was a Roman citizen. But he took the name of Paul. But before that, he was Saul, and he persecuted the church. What's really wild is he had this really, we call it the Damascus Road experience, where now some people go, yeah, he was knocked off a donkey. Well, technically he wasn't. He just fell to the ground. He wasn't even on a donkey, if you read the story all the way through. But here's the, here's the point, is he was knocked on his butt, and there was a revelation that came to him. But later, when he was writing about his testimony... This is wild to me. He didn't say that Jesus showed Christ to him. He said that Jesus showed Christ in him. That's a pretty wild statement, isn't it? So what happened is Paul was doing things thinking he was okay. He was following the letter of the law. He was following the, the religion of you know, his time. I mean, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Um, he was brought up by one of the most renowned Pharisees, knew the law front and back, knew Roman law. The dude was really intelligent. But in this moment, in this experience, Jesus revealed something to him. You're in me and you don't even see it. Now, we know it was a radical revelation because from that point on, he changed his name and he changed his ways. Something happened on that road, didn't it? And he took several years to just hear from Holy Spirit and download this idea of new covenant compared to old covenant and law. And so that's, of course, where we get Paul the Apostle of Grace. But see, all of us have to have those Damascus Road experiences. And sometimes it's not just, it's not just going, oh, this sounds good, and praying a prayer. I'm telling you what, I have these resurrection experiences all through my journey where I see something like I never saw it before and it awakens something within me. It's a beautiful thing. So God paid for what was already his, but it gets better. Not only did he buy back what was his, this, this is wild, he renews his vows with her. Because think about this. If God told you, all right, listen, I want you to love her again. I want you to win her back. I want you to go get her back. That's one thing. But to actually profess your vows again, because it could be easy to go, whatever. 
You can live in the house, but I'm going to give you the cold shoulder. I'm going to give you two, three weeks, maybe two, three months of the cold shoulder because I'm going to make you pay for what you did to me, the hurt you did to me. Come on. But he immediately, this is wild, renews his vows with her. Look at this in verse 3. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be toward you. What? <laughs> I'm telling you, that's not what I would have said. I, I really would. Maybe I'd be in a place where I could, but I'm thinking, wait a minute. You're renewing vows with her and saying that you're going to do the same thing. You're going to be faithful. You're going to take this time that it takes to renew these vows. And then Hosea begins to prophesy. This is so cool in verse 4. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or a sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. Now, just a quick note. He says David their king here because that's who the king was. But what's interesting is whether he realized it or not, he was being prophetic about the future because we know that David is a messianic stand-in for Jesus and that Jesus came from the lineage of David. So not only is he proclaiming to Israel at this time something big's going to happen. God wants to renew those vows with you, which by the way, vows God never broke, vows that Israel broke, but despite that he loved them anyway, and by the example of Hosea wanted to show them how much he loved them. Even though you played the harlot and served other gods, my love for you has never changed. This is so awesome. Look at this. They shall fear the Lord. Now, we know that word means reverence and awe, right? Not being like deathly afraid. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Man, the goodness of the Lord. You know, we're told that it's the goodness, the kindness of the Lord that draws us to repentance. That's why, you know, for me, it never quite sat right. And again, however you do it, that's fine. But for me, this idea of fearing people into the kingdom just never quite worked. And what I found that even in my own life, there was probably a little bit of fear there when I accepted Jesus as a young man because I wanted to make sure I was okay. And that's fine. That's where I was. But how many know that when you're born of fear, you live in fear? It's a constant making sure I'm okay. Am I crossing the T's? Am I dotting the I's? Why? Well, because you never know what the Lord's going to do. But here's the thing. When you're born of love, when love changes your heart, see, fear can, you know, change your actions, but not change your will. Whereas love, it changes the heart. And how many know that our actions and our words flow out of our heart? And so what a better way when the goodness of the Lord, the kindness of the Lord, the grace and love of the Lord draws to repentance. That word repentance, metanoia in the Greek, means to change your mind. It's, it's, it's a way of saying, okay, I'm beginning to see things differently. And you know what that does? It causes you to turn and go a different direction, doesn't it? But it's not coercion. It's not fear. It's not manipulation. It's the love of God. It's like, God, you love me so much. My desire is to love you back. Because you first love me. My desire is to walk out that purpose and that true authentic identity that you've already put on the inside of me. How many know on the journey it takes some time to, to figure that out, to see what that's about? Think about this story. 
Who's Hosea? I think it's really a, a picture of God. It's a picture of Jesus. And what's interesting is the word Hosea means salvation. Now, who's Gomer? I know as soon as I say your leg, you know, some people call people Gomers based on Gomer Pyle, the show. You know, if you, you're probably too, too young to remember that. But in this, who's the Gomer? The Gomer's me. The Gomer's you. The Gomer's humanity. And you know what Gomer means? Completion. This is so wild. I, I was going over this this morning, just kind of just hit my heart, and I went, wait a minute here. So true salvation, receiving that, that, that salvation, which is deliverance, safety, preservation, those things, restoration that God has provided, healing, it's only complete when we're part of the equation. Wow. Saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to salvation, saying yes to a new way of life, it's complete when we say yes. Isn't that awesome? But God doesn't stop. Think about that. He'll seek you out. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter how far. I mean, in this story, we have the story of Gomer who went back to a lifestyle in the seedy part of town. How many are familiar with the prodigal story? We have a son who left his father, went to a far-off place, did all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, burned through all of his inheritance, found himself in pig slop, in a pig pen, and finally it says, I came to my senses, I came to myself. Here's the thing. When he comes back, his sonship never changed according to the father. But there was something with him. He needed to repent, didn't he? He needed to change his mind. He needed to see things in a different fashion. No matter how far away we go, guess what? God's always right there for us. And your status hasn't changed. But here's what I found. When you think that you're something you're not, then your actions reflect that. And the wages of sin is death. Did you notice I didn't say the wages of God? The wages of sin. Sin pays itself back, man. Right? Sometimes people, you know, when you preach God so good and his grace, they get scared. They're like, man, you got to be careful. Well, why? Why do I have to be careful? Why don't we preach the good news the way it was meant to be preached? Why don't we preach to, as Bishop Engelhart would say, preach to the sun, speak to the sun in people, not the sin. Listen, the sin is an outflow of who you think you are. And so how do we change that? Through loving redemption. That's a gift. You have been given loving redemption. God will seek us out with redemption. He will love you always. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has a run-in with the religious leaders uh, known as the Pharisees. And I know some people, they give all religious leaders a bad rap. Some follow Jesus. Some were trying to check stuff out. We're talking about a system here, right? Jesus didn't like the system, but he loved people. Does that make sense? And so he has a situation where these religious leaders said they were filled with indignation. I mean, they were just fuming. They were seething. Why? Because Jesus was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus was hanging out with uh, the lowlifes of society. And so they didn't go to Jesus. They went to the disciples. And they said, why would your master dine with such lowlifes? <laughs> I love his response in Matthew chapter 9. This brings everything full circle. Look at this. Verse 13. And he says this to them. And I just can picture Jesus. Has anyone ever watched um, The Chosen? I, I do love the way they depict Jesus, just as a real, real person who loved people, who had to deal with his own pain, his own issues. But look at this. He looks at the Pharisees and says, 
Now you should go and study the meaning of this verse. <laughs> now imagine that. It's like they're talking about this stuff, it being you know modern day, and someone says, Man, maybe you should go read scripture again. That's basically what he says. And then guess who he quotes? Hosea. Look at this. I want you to show mercy, not just offer me a sacrifice. For I have come to invite the outcasts of society and sinners, not those who think they are already on the right path. Wasn't Jesus awesome? He just knew exactly what to say at the right time. See, they were all caught up in this idea that they thought they were on the right path, that they thought they were okay. Why would Jesus hang with these people? Yet these people were the ones saying, I know I need a Savior. I know I need a different way to my life. And Jesus quotes Hosea, I have come to invite the outcasts of society and sinners. Jesus is literally saying, I am your Hosea. I am your salvation. What a powerful moment for the Jews listening to Jesus at this moment. I'm sure there were plenty of people around hearing this, and even the Pharisees, and I'm not sure if they were even able to comprehend what he was saying at that moment because they were just fuming as it was. But he's saying, I am your salvation. I am your Hosea. You've been lovingly redeemed. But think about this. We've been redeemed, but not just for ourselves. We've been redeemed in order to bring redemption to others. The Apostle John says it like this in 1 John 4, verse 10 and 11. It says this, now listen to this first first four words. In this is love. Say, in this is love. So he's about to set it up. Because if you want to know what love's about, and by the way, many many of us know this about the Apostle John, but he refers to himself, I think, five times in his gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I don't think he was being arrogant. I think he began to really understand the love of God. So he's, he's bringing a lesson because he's older. He's probably 80s here, maybe 90s. He's writing to the churches in Asia Minor. And he says, in this is love. Get this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, the very first phrase here in this sentence, when he says, in this is love, it says, not that we loved God. Remember the first time I read that and then it clicked? I'm like, oh my gosh, how many, how many sermons have I preached about you need to love God, love God more, you know, get back to your first love, love God. Now, is loving God wrong? No, absolutely not. But the Apostle John says, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And then 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. See, God leads by example. So love one another. Bring redemption to others. You know, when I was younger, I used to search for pop cans. Now, this isn't a thing in some states, but here in Michigan, how many know what a pop can's worth? Ten cents. An empty pop can is worth 10 cents. I'm telling you what, when I was a kid, it was amazing. I would look for these things everywhere, in ditches, the side of the road. I wasn't, our family was kind of poor, so you know, this is what I did. But I would, if I saw a can, I'd be like, 10 cents, another can in the field, 10 cents. And you know what I do? I collect those cans, I put them together, and I'm telling you what, that could take care of a day's worth of candy for me. 
maybe a nutty bar or something like that. Like, it was awesome. I got, you know, 20 cans today. That's two bucks. Now, back then, candy was a lot cheaper. Now you're like, two bucks? I can barely get a candy bar. I get it. This was in the olden days. You know, it's old folks. But see, I saw worth and I saw value in those cans. You know, these days when we go and we return cans, uh, we have those machines we put them in. And you ever notice that if it's a little too crushed or warped, it will reject it? Well, this is taking me back. This is revealing my age a little bit. I remember the old days where someone would count them out into a bin for you. In fact, I, when I was 15, I worked at a grocery store, and that was part of my job, counting out those bottles and separating them. And we didn't go, mm, this is crushed a little bit. We just counted it, 10, 20, 30. Why? There's value. There's worth in the can, even if it's maimed, even if it's mangled, even if you can't quite read the label and you're not sure what kind it is. We know it's a can. It's aluminum. It's a real person counting, and it has worth. It has value. And I think about all those times I would pick up those cans. See, others would discard that can. They would throw it to the side. They didn't see the worth. They didn't see the value in it. You know, sometimes we do that with people. We discard people to the wayside. We're like, yeah, they don't measure up to my standards, my social you know, idea of what someone should be like, and we cast them aside because we don't see the value in them, and we throw them out. But here's the deal. Redemption doesn't just bring you into a place where you feel you know, this acceptance and this forgiveness from God. Redemption power opens our eyes to see the value in others. Even when others can't see that value, we see value in every single human being. We see the potential of others. We have a real true hope for humanity. We see value in the vessel, just like those pop cans. We are gifted to see value where others see worthlessness. Say, I have value. I am worth something. I'm telling you, it's so true. Uh, the truth, and sometimes it's hard to say that, but I love this. I'm going to wrap up here in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Look what Peter says here. He says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. Why? That you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, some of this, these words might be like, that went over my head. Listen, you're a chosen, chosen generation. This was a big deal because to the Jew, they were the chosen people. And here's Peter speaking to all men saying you're chosen. This is, a, this is a big change. We're flipping the script. Everyone's included in this. A royal priesthood. Come on, that's just a language that, that they knew for that day of a priesthood, a holy nation, a nation that's set apart. But look at this next phrase. A peculiar people. Now, years back, I heard plenty of messages about this. and I've heard even kind of maybe tongue-in-cheek comments like, well, if the world thinks you're weird, well, then it makes sense because you're a peculiar people, right? But the word here, peculiar, in the original language, it doesn't mean you're weird, you're odd, you know, it's like, what's wrong with him? It means purchased or owned. Big difference. It changes it. See, think of that now in the light of everything we talked about today. That whole idea of Hosea and Gomer. She was owned, and he willingly paid to buy her back something he owned. We are an owned people. We are purchased people. Now, I know sometimes it's like in this, what do you mean I'm owned? 
What he's saying is you're family, you're connected, you're mine. And nothing can change that. Does that make sense? Say this with me. I've been lovingly redeemed. Will you stand with me? morning we realize just how amazing this price is that God paid for us. Because really, like I said earlier, the fact that we're alive and moving any human for, for all of time, we're here because we're connected to the source, which means the source owns us. But even when we walk away, God was willing I love what Paul says, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This is exactly what he called Hosea to do, to show. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's why it's really hard for me to try and divide Jesus and God. We picture, you know, years ago I thought there's Jesus on the cross and there's God far away and he's turning his back and we've got songs and things but it really doesn't line up with what Jesus was saying. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, we see that God was there all along. And Jesus felt those feelings as a human being. But in the midst of that, God says, I'm going to give myself to you. I'm going to reconcile you to me. You know what's crazy about that? He takes the step. God makes it happen. You're like, well, what do we do? Believe. That seems too simple. There's got to be something to do. No, not according to how salvation works. You just believe. You trust God and his word. You take God and his word and say, I trust you, God. It's amazing. And guess what? We've been redeemed, and we're in the business of bringing redemption to others. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness for your kindness that draws us to a mind change, brings us to think of you differently, think of ourselves differently, think of others differently. It changes that whole mentality where it's no longer us and them. We, we see people who, they're lost, they've lost their identity, but that doesn't mean that they don't belong to you. I pray if we're here this morning, even in our, our own way, struggling with this idea of connection. May we be reminded that our connection to you is because of you. You're the one who initiated connection and reconciled us to yourself. Help us, Holy Spirit, to see that, to see our righteousness, our right standing with you, to see that we're pleasing and holy and acceptable, that we're a purchased, a peculiar people, and we belong to you. And the more that we know that, the outflow of our heart is we're going to start moving and working in that purpose you've called us to, in the direction that you've called us to. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. I belong because you say I belong. I accept that. I'm a son, I'm a daughter, 
That's who I am. And Jesus, if there's any area in my soul where I'm believing a lie, I'm not seeing things correctly, reveal that to me and bring healing to my soul. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good, Lord. Awesome. Did you receive that this morning? Man, God is so good. I just encourage you. That story is just such a great picture of how much God loves us. And if you feel like, man, I've just, I've gone too far. Well, hey, I usually tell people the fact that you recognize that you've gone too far, that's a good thing. It means that you're starting to recognize that's not what you're built for. That's not who you truly are. And so in those moments, we just get to choose to trust God and say, God, I trust you in this situation. I need you. And I know that you haven't gone anywhere. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. It's beautiful. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.